think God would be pleased uh, today with our worship. Amen. Is exalted. God bless you, choir, Don. Uh, I'm going to invite you to uh, take your Bible this morning and open it with me to the book of Psalms. And uh, we're going to, I hope that you will keep your Bible open and just stay with me as we we work through some some scriptures from the Psalms. I made a reference last Sunday regarding the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, to, to the whole, all of the scriptures that the stories and narratives and commandments and statutes and poetries and letters, all of the content, it, it is not just random and disorganized. Instead, they all hold themselves together with a common theme, common thread. And all of it is a display of God's glory. God created everything for his glory. That's the theme, to give him praise and to magnify his name, his great name. Psalm 148, um, if you have your, we're going to, I'm going to jump ahead, but if you have your Bible, you can go over there. It's all about praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the earth. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, stars of light. Praise him, all you heavens and all you waters of heavens. Let everything that has been created, praise the Lord. It's kind of the theme that runs through the, all of Scripture. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork day after day. Referring to his creation, day after day, his creation utters his speech, and night after night, it reveals his knowledge. God created everything for his glory. I was thinking about all of it. He made it all clear in this beginning that everything he created for his glory, and it was all good, and there was only one exception. Do you remember the one thing that God created that wasn't good? That man was alone, and so God went to work. And created the woman, brought her to the man, both man and woman made in his image. It means to bear witness of God and the creation of man then and woman was not only good, but he said it was really good, very good. God's design for marriage was great. To be, and so if you think about the purposes of marriage, just kind of a reminder, we certainly see uh, to be friends, to be companions. It's not suitable for man to be alone, so he created a friend, a companion. So friendship is a purpose. The procreation was a purpose. Sexual fulfillment was a purpose. All of those things enjoyed in marriage. But the chief purpose of marriage was to bring God glory, to bring him glory, even in that re- relationship. The Westminster Confession reminds us the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. We know from the gospel, sin marred everything, but God in his goodness and grace demonstrated mercy by providing a means, a way for man's sin to be forgiven. And that means was by the way of the cross through Christ. You know the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, for Paul said, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died According to the scriptures, that he was buried, 
and was raised the third day according to the scriptures. And so during this month of emphasis of omissions, we began the first Sunday from Luke's gospel to establish a clear picture of God's mission. This is God's mission for all of creation. And we looked in chapter 24 that after Jesus was crucified and buried and raised from the dead, he begins appearing to his disciples, teaching them, and the Bible says, from the scriptures, teaching them from the law of Moses, teaching them from the Psalms, teaching them from the prophets, that everything in the word of God bears witness to Christ. It all points to him. It means God has a purpose. And God's purpose is and has always been the gospel. The gospel wasn't just a last-minute reaction that God came up with because of man's sin. It says God intended this before the foundation of the world, the gospel. And so Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel, and his plan is for that message to spread for the gospel, for you and I, as we go, as we live, to make disciples, right? Teaching men everything that Christ has taught us, baptizing folks, and we're to go to the ends of the earth, to the nations. That's God's plan. We saw that his personnel is you and me. We're, we're it. If the job doesn't get done, it's because of us. I was sharing this morning with our Sunday school group. Think about Coca-Cola and however long Coca-Cola has been in existence. And cell phone companies have already saturated the globe. You can go to a, into one of the most remote places of the earth, which where I've been, where there's straw huts and dirt floors, and they'll have Cokes and cell phones. They've done what the church hasn't been able to do in 2,000 years, and we have a much better product. Amen? We, we need to get the gospel to the nations. That's, our, that's God's mission. That's what brings him glory. And we see in the book of Luke, in that 24th chapter, many instances that once Jesus began to teach and reveal himself through the scriptures that the way people responded was twofold. They would worship and praise the Lord, that Jesus was alive, that he was risen, that the gospel was true. And then second, they would go about sharing their stories, witnessing, telling other people, which is the heart of living on mission for God, to worship him, praise him daily together like this on the Lord's day, to worship him, to give him praise. And that's the fuel for our mission. And witnessing is certainly the flow. I've got to tell you about just, we, you and I have endless opportunities to share the gospel with people as we live, as the Holy Spirit works. I sat last night, Minnie and I, with a couple from this church, and they just felt compelled they're, they're strategizing, developing a strategy, a plan for reaching other people um, through the gospel, through his word. And God, we saw this, he always reveals himself through the scriptures. That's, that's how you and I met Jesus, was from his word. And so you and I can have, we have all kinds of opportunities to do that. And uh, as we go, as we live, as the Holy Spirit opens opportunities for conversations, but then also being intentional. What can me, what can I and Mindy do? What can you and your family do strategically to advance the gospel, to bring other people under the word of God? And so that's, that's worth us thinking and praying about. Last Sunday, we saw Jesus teaching concerning himself from the law. And this morning, I just want to kind of go through the Psalms with you and to help us see Jesus in the Psalms. To some degree, and we don't usually read it this way, but usually when we read the Psalms, uh, 
What are we thinking about? Who are we thinking about? We're usually thinking about ourselves when we read the Psalms because we can relate to the psalmist, his joy, his sadness, his frustration, his questions, and so we relate to that. But Jesus runs through the Psalms. He's the central figure of the Psalms. And so I invite you this morning with your Bibles open to see Jesus with me and, and from the Psalms. And I invite first to st start to, with a, just a brief word of prayer. Father, we wish to see Jesus. We pray that your spirit would open our eyes and we'd meet you in a fresh way today with a fresh encounter. That you're the true and living God, that you've defeated sin and overcome death. And God, we have victory and eternal life in you. And God, I pray that we would focus our lives on the gospel and would be focused on living for you daily to make you known however you give us opportunity. Bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Me, you're familiar with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the seat of the sinful, nor stands in the way of scorners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates both day and night, and shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Most of us are familiar with that psalm. It's describing the man that God will bless who determines not to go along with the crowd, the ways of the world, who determines to keep his mind set on God and his word with the promise that that man would be fruitful and blessed by God. But can you think of another man who fulfilled this psalm to perfection? We don't often think about that. A man who walked and stood and sat among sinners, not with an intent of joining in with them in their sin, but he walked among sinful men as a light, as a witness, but never sinned himself. A man who, according to this psalm, set his mind on the scriptures, who delighted in the law of the Lord, who taught and preached with authority, and who brought praise to the Father. Psalm 1 points to Jesus. And regarding this bringing forth of fruit, the Bible says of Jesus' resurrection, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus may have taught those first century disciples about himself from Psalm 1, that that man is me. Think about Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot vain things against God? Kings and rulers of the earth take counsel together and set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed one. Do you see it? Acts chapter 4, the early church raised their voices in one accord and quoted Psalm 2. And then they prayed in Acts 4, God truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, whom both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before time or ahead of time to be done. The rebellion described in Psalm 2 foreshadows the rebellion in the New Testament of the rejection and crucifixion of Christ. Certainly a reference to rulers like Herod and Pontius Pilate who persecuted the Lord's anointed one described in Psalm 2. 
It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, are you going to go through every psalm in the Old Testament? No. I'm just trying to let you see right from the beginning. It's all about Jesus. Psalm chapter 2, 7 and 8. David is writing, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. That's Psalm 2, 7 and 8. When you first read that, you might interpret these scriptures to be referring to King David. But upon further study, it is a clear reference to the coming Messiah, to God, giving his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That sounds like John 3.16, Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 7, thou art my son today, I have begotten thee. That sounds like Matthew 3, 17. You remember when Jesus was baptized, God the Father says, this is my beloved, my begotten son with whom I am well pleased. Psalm 2, 7 is quoted in Acts chapter 13, verse 33, as Paul preaches Christ in his resurrection. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, two times quotes Psalm Chapter 2, all of it pointing to Christ. Perhaps Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples and taught them from the Psalms concerning himself, may have taught them from Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Read with me Psalm chapter 3, the first four verses. Psalm 3, 1 through 4. Let me get over to the back over here. Psalm 3, 1 through 4. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Certainly, you and I could have, Identify with Psalm 3, but rightly interpreted, God is our help. He hears all of our cries, but surely these verses also point to Jesus, of God the Father's deliverance of Jesus from his enemies through the resurrection. In Acts chapter 3, as the apostle Peter preaches, he quotes these verses that we just read. And says the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob glorified his servant Jesus, the holy and just one, the one whom you denied and killed, who is the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead. Psalm 3. Psalm chapter 8. Regarding God's creation. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, for out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength and praise. Psalm 8 sounds like Matthew 21, when Jesus made his triumphal entry. Later in the day, he cleanses the temple and declares his house was to be a place of prayer for the nations, then began healing the blind and all of the lame that came to him. And when the religious crowd saw the wonderful things that Jesus was doing, they said, and the Bible says, he did 
And they heard children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And these religious leaders were indignant and said to Jesus, do you not hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, I hear what they say. And then he quotes Psalm 8, verse 2. Have you never read out of the mouths and babes, nursing and infants, that God has perfected praise? Psalm 8 refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 8 verse 6 adds, You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and have placed all things under his feet. That's not referring to David. <laughs> Hebrews 2.8 says of Jesus, You, God, have put all things in subjection under his feet. Which means Psalm 8 points to Jesus one day babies will praise him. You remember Jesus said, and he, and he confounded the religious crowd, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and he says, do you guys not understand if you stop the praise of these people that even the rocks will cry out unto me and praise my name? Psalm 8, verse 6, that dominion that's described there is referring to Christ. Hebrews 2.8 quotes from it. You, God, have put all things in subjection under the feet of Christ. Psalm 8 points to Jesus. And one day he will reign with all dominion and all authority throughout all eternity. Psalm 16. Shared with the deacons the other night in deacon meetings. Dale read from Psalm 16 as we started. It's my favorite psalm. Preserve me, O God, for you I put my trust. Oh, my soul, you've said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all of my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another gods. I will not drink their offering, take their names upon my lips. Oh, Lord, you are my portion. Finish, finish with me in Psalm 16. O oh Lord, you are the portion, my inheritance and my cup. You maintain, maintain my lot. Your lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a good inheritance. I'll bless the Lord who's given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. Why? Because you will not leave your holy one and Sheol, nor allow him to see corruption. You will show him the paths of life, and in your presence there is joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That is a messianic psalm. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is confident, Father, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Psalm 16 is about Jesus. Psalm 19.13 reads, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me, who lift me up from the gates of death. That plea to be delivered from death anticipates the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of his people. Paul describes it to the Corinthians. He says, The body, while it's sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. Psalm 22, verses 1, 8, and 18 sound like Jesus' words from the cross. Listen to them. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? All those who see me ridicule me that they shoot out the lip and shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord God. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him if he delights in him. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. That's Psalm 22, written 900 years prior to the Lord Jesus Christ coming in his crucifixion. That sounds like Jesus on the cross and sounds like the work of the soldiers at the cross. It's described in Psalm 22. It sounds like Matthew 27, 46. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It sounds like Mark 15, 29. While Jesus was suffering on the cross, those who passed by blasphemed him wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others himself. He cannot save. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, 9 through 17. Surely Jesus taught his disciples about himself. Have you ever thought about the 23rd Psalm referring to Jesus? Referring to Jesus as the good shepherd? The one that satisfies? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus is the one who makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus is the one who leads me beside the still waters. Jesus is the one who restores my soul. Jesus is the one whose rod and staff comforts me and protects me. Have you ever thought about Psalm 23 pointing to Jesus? Psalm 24, Jesus is the king of glory. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. So lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory but the Lord of hosts? He is the king of glory. Who is Psalm 24 talking about? talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's prophetic. It's pointing to him. Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight, keep his commands until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. He who is the blessed, potentant, the King of kings and the Lord of glory. Consider Psalm 31.5. Into thy hands I commend to my spirit. Psalm 34, verse 20, he, God, keepeth, will keep all of his bones, not one of them shall be broken, referring to the cross. Psalm 35, 11, false witnesses will rise up against him. Psalm 35, 19, and he will be hated for no reason. Listen to Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8 is quoted two times in Hebrews 10. Verse 10 says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Psalm 34, Psalm 35, Psalm 40, all point to Jesus. Psalm 69 
verse 4, it says, the Messiah will be hated without a cause. Psalm 69, verse 4 says, he will be zealous for God's house. Psalm 69, 21, when the Messiah thirsts, he will be given vinegar. Psalm 69, when the Messiah thirsts, he'll be given vinegar. The New Testament says the Lord Jesus Christ was despised by men, consumed with God's house, a zeal for his house being a place of worship and prayer for the nations. And on the cross, he was given sour wine, mingled with gall, and when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Psalms that point to Jesus. Psalm 72 is a messianic psalm, all of it, a clear description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to some parts of it. It says, his name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations will call him blessed. Blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be full of his glory. That's not talking about David. It points to Jesus. Psalm 110 describes Christ. David writes of him, the Lord, God, has said to my Lord, referring to Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send out of Jerusalem, out of Zion, the rod of your strength. God has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's Jesus. Psalm 118, 22 and 23, the stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, which is marvelous in our eyes. That sounds like Matthew 21, 42. Jesus actually quoted Psalm 118. He said to the chief priests and elders, have you never read in the scriptures about the stone which the builders, all of you, have rejected has now become the chief cornerstone? Luke's gospel adds, and whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but whomever the stone falls on, it will grind him to powder. Psalm 118 verse 26 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's exactly what the gospel of John records when Jesus made his triumphal entry. In John chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, it says, During the great feast, when the crowds heard that Jesus was coming, they took palm branches and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, who is the king of Israel. That's from Psalm 118, pointing to Jesus. Once Jesus was crucified and buried and raised from the dead, Spending those next 40 days appearing to his disciples, it says he was teaching them from the scriptures. What scriptures? From the Old Testament. That's the only scriptures they had. He taught them from the scriptures. He started with the law of Moses and shared and pointed to how all of that points to him. Then with the prophets. Psalms, the prophets, the law, all of them are about him. All of it points to Christ. Why is that? It's because the gospel is God's plan. And as we hear the scriptures, as we hear them, and as we see them, and as we understand them, that's when we meet Jesus. You remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus said, did not our hearts 
burn within us when he showed us and taught us from the scriptures concerning himself. That heartburn they're describing is just means that we were inspired, we were moved. God moved in our lives when he taught us from the scriptures. Well, Chris, that's where you and I continue to meet Jesus. And that's how God is glorified. I'm sure all of us have heard people raise doubts about Scripture. Have you heard it? People deny that this is God's Word. Believe it's just literature. That Jesus was just a great teacher, a great prophet. Questioning the reliability, the accuracy, and the truth of Scripture. But when you begin to study... And you realize that the law was written 1,500 years before Christ. And all of it points to Christ. And then you begin to read the Psalms at least 900 years before Christ. And you begin to read the law and you begin to read the Psalms and realize the accuracy, how all of it points to Christ and how the gospel fulfilled it all perfectly. It produces some amazement. And some wonder. The Bible says men moved by the Holy Spirit wrote under God's inspiration, all pointing to Christ. That's been God's plan. And I can tell you the more that I read and the more I meditate on God's word, the more that I see Jesus, it it changes you, strengthens your faith. As you read and study and experience God's voice speaking you and guiding you and Renewing your mind, changing your perspectives, and changing your attitudes and your thoughts. It just produces a greater desire to know him more and seek him more in his word. Hillcrest, God's plan is for his glory to fill the earth. Habakkuk says, for as the waters cover the earth, so shall be my glory. It covers the earth. Well, how does that happen? It happens through the gospel. God's plan is the gospel. God's purpose is for his gospel to be spread. Thus, you and I, we are his personnel empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christ is made known through the scriptures. Have you met him? Have you met him? Do you remember when you first met him? It was in the scriptures. I was seven or eight years old, little boy. Heard about Jesus at vacation Bible school. Was taught same things at home, but as a little boy, I heard that, and there was something that happened in me, and I just kind of felt moved, and so I went forward, and a man named Roger prayed with me, I remember that, gave me a little New Testament, started early, and through my life, continued to know more about him, to know him more, and more and more, but it's always been through the scriptures. And if you and I know him, if we've met him in the scriptures through the gospel, then it causes us to question, what am I doing to help others meet him there as well? What am I doing? As God works in us and works in others, it's, it's always going to be through his word. 
I can tell you how thankful, so thankful, all of us should be thankful for the men and women of this church who are in teaching roles, teaching little two and three-year-olds. Listen, we don't need to babysit kids here. When these kids are dropped off on Sunday school, when they're dropped off during worship, when they're committed to our trust on Wednesday night, we're not here to babysit. We need men and women who feel a call of God upon their hearts and lives, who love little kids and say, I want to give my life to establish spiritual truths in the lives of these little kids and actually pray and prepare to spend time with these kids. God didn't call us to babysit. We have men and women here who, because of the love of God in their hearts, and teach and teach on in halos. Men and women who teach in Sunday school, kids, third, fourth, fifth grades as a support to families. We don't need to waste those families' times by not studying and being prepared as we minister God's word. It is a serious thing. I'm thankful for Jack, I'm thankful for our youth teachers, for Jason. Christ is met in the scriptures. And I'll just be just totally transparent. Jack and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, he said, uh, trying to figure out, what do, I, what do I do? What do I do to create spiritual hunger and thirst in the lives of our teenagers? I was burdened by that. I said, Jack, you can't do that. You and I can't create spiritual hunger. We can't create thirst. What can we do? We can make sure that we love kids. We love people. Love them. Treat them well. Let them know we love them and care about them. And then we can make sure that we are spiritually prepared ourselves to that we, we minister the word. That we're, right? Study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God who needs not to be ashamed, but rightly divides, rightly cuts the word of truth. And we'll do that. God's spirit will work. God will work in the lives of people. Age 18, raised in church, but it wasn't until I was 18 years of old. 18 years of age was the first time that I started reading my Bible. And I, I can tell you what caused me to start reading my Bible. I was empty, and I didn't know what to do with my life. I was trying to figure out what do I do. I was out of high school, going to a community college. I went there because I didn't know what else to do. Didn't know what my career vocation should be. I didn't know what, I had no idea. And so, kind of out of desperation and without any direction, I began to just to start reading the scriptures, and that's when God began to work in my life. It's through the scriptures. You and I are called to make Christ known. And the best way I know to do that is through the word. For you and I to read and study and meditate, to make disciples starting in our own homes, our own households, and to work and to share everything through his word. And listen, here to, to attend a Bible study, Sunday morning, Sunday school class where you connect with other people. And then invite other people to your class. Sunday school class is not just for us. 
It's a place where we gather to study God's word, absolutely, but it's also a vehicle, a way that we can draw other people in. Why? So that they get in the word, so they hear the word, and they meet Jesus, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict them and speak to them. I invite you to pray with me this morning as God, however he might be speaking to you, leading you. What I'd like to do this morning is just to, to invite you to come to pray. And this morning the invitation is just a general invitation for prayer. To intercede, to pray for ourselves, to pray for our families, to pray for our Sunday school classes, to give God thanks for teachers, those who study and minister the word. Perhaps to pray in advance and to prepare and to seek God regarding how he wants us to be involved more and how he wants us to give next Sunday. This is a time for you to respond. However, God might be speaking to you and leading you. As Don leads us, Father, we we surrender ourselves afresh to you. Speak to us. God, we we want to be obedient. We want to be guided by you, found faithful. So have your way during these closing moments, God, as we respond to you in your call, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as Don leads us.